Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. And also with me, Ian Morris. Not just any Morris, Ian Morris. Exactly. It's also brought to you by you. Thank you ever so much to our patrons supporting us each week at patreon.com slash UK tech. If you're a patron, then you're currently listening to your extended cut of this week's show. And if you're not yet a patron, but would like to get our extended cut in my weekly columns, uh, which this week included a behind the scenes look at how the show's made and the decisions we take when crafting the Patreon version uh, versus the shorter free version um you get those every week and you can get those by heading to patreon.com slash uk tech p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash uk tech and find out how you can support us from as little as a pound an episode um i think we hit a little bit of a speed bump in terms of uh, onboarding new people as uh, <laughs> as hr please don't say that gl- i will promise not to say it again we're not a boat no, indeed, but we are sailing through choppy waters uh, in terms of in- significantly increasing our Patreon followers. Uh, it's a very healthy number, but uh, if you have been thinking about uh, getting on board this ship uh, and helping us sail, then um, patreon.com slash uktech is how you can get involved. And there's no commitment. If you actually don't find that you get any value for your value, uh, then you can uh, just drop back <laughs> and listen to the free feed. No commitment. But yeah. uh, if you'd like to give us a try, please do. Thank you for all those who are doing now ian let's get into the news tree and pick the juiciest information apple uh we're going to start by talking about learner drivers uh, who will have to follow directions from a sat nav and drive into a parking space in order to pass their test that's from the 4th of december this year according to bbc news this week Uh, Drivers are also going to be expected to answer vehicle safety questions while on the move and complete 20 minutes of independent driving rather than the previous 10. Um, Now, apparently this, according to at least the RAC Foundation, um, is going to be a far more realistic assessment of people's driving skills. But we did hear about this, I think, at least a year ago, possibly even slightly more. Back then, we didn't know when this would be implemented or if uh, the GPS test, which obviously is the tech angle here for us, uh, would be implemented. And at the time, a Guardian report said that the changes were going to form part of the biggest shakeup in the driving test scene since the introduction of the theory exam over 20 years ago in 1996. So, Ian, two things. I believe you drive. I do. I, however, do not. I learned when I was about 18 and then never took my test. Uh, I moved to London and you don't need a car here, really, in the centre. Uh, yeah. Well, I certainly didn't. Uh, but well, I no, now you know. don't live in London. So I'm going to start learning this this spring. So I'm going to miss the GPS bit uh, because I'll be learning before the 4th of December cutoff for this new thing. But did you How- never take your test then? So you actually no. haven't... Oh, wow. I never did. And I was quite a good driver from what I remember. It's just that it, feel, it, it began to feel a little pointless to continue paying for the lessons True. when I wasn't going to drive. Um, so I didn't bother. But my point is, is that although I'm not going to take this GPS test, I'm so used to sort of helping 
you know, people in a car just sort of point stuff out on GPS directions or use a GPS when I'm walking on a pavement that I, I think for a lot of people are going to have to take this test. It's really not going to be that big a deal. What do you think? No, I don't think that. I think for most people, we're also used to, uh, you know, fiddling with buttons and stuff in the car that, yeah, you're right. It won't be a big deal. I think it's a, I think it's an interesting idea. I like, I like the fact that they're at least thinking about how to improve driving tests and make them actually relevant. Um, I, I think that we'll see a lot more of this actually as we start to see self-driving cars appear. Um, I, you know, like so at the moment, obviously, uh, for anyone who isn't aware, um, who is either out of the country or just doesn't hasn't ever been in a driving, you, you can have an automatic um, car license, which means you can only drive automatic cars now. Um, those are ones that do not have uh, gear sticks. Yeah, exactly. Or stick and shifts. So, yeah, and, and as we move to electric cars. No cars have gears, so the driving test will have to sort of evolve a bit. There'll probably be a lot more people who will just opt for the um, for the, the automatic because cars won't have gearboxes. And also, if you think about it, it may be that uh, there might be extra things about electric cars that might add in extra tests, and then maybe there'll be an electric-only test or something. I don't know why you'd do it, but you could do Um that might have things about maybe driving a bit more economically because you can get some power back from the regenerative baking as well as being aware that the car is quieter and you might be more of a a danger to other road users like cyclists and pedestrians. So I don't know. I think think we might see a bigger jump in the change of driving tests from now on than we have up until now because cars haven't changed a lot, but we're in a massive period of transition. I think you're right. I think this spells that there will be major considerations made around how computerized cars, even if not self-driving or autonomous or even semi-autonomous, just the fact that cars have so much more computing power baked within them um, that it's going to become necessary more and more to be tested on some of these things. I think the other interesting thing is that right now, GPS navigation is by and large the same, whether you buy it from TomTom or Garmin, or even just use your iPhone or your Android mounted to a dock. Um, They're kind of manufacturer agnostic in that sense. Whereas a lot of the computerized systems that are coming into cars, you know, we're talking about things from Microsoft or Apple's um, alleged car system. Uh, Obviously the ones that people like Intel and Qualcomm are working on, you know, they're all kind of, designed to sort of lock you into an ecosystem and so it'll be interesting if down the line part of your test you have to specify are you taking an exam on in an apple powered car or a microsoft powered car or an intel uh, co-designed car or something like that and that's going to make driving tests a little bit more like buying a phone you're actually having to decide what manufacturer you want to get in bed with or in a car with um, before you actually get qualified to do so Um, so that'll be interesting but i think the other thing is that And this came up in a conversation a few months ago I had with somebody who's asking whether I thought their children, when they're old enough to drive, would need to learn how to drive. I said, well, there are going to be fallbacks, manual fallbacks in these cars for years. The steering wheel is not going to go away anytime soon. Not in probably the next 20 years will the steering wheel actually disappear. So you'll always need to be able to manually control a car in case the tech fails for some reason. In the same yeah. way, you have to know how to put oil in the engine. You can't just I, assume there'll be a person in a garage who can who can do it for you. Well, I mean, I don't think there'll be engines. But, you know, um, also, there will always be a... I think there will always be a button to stop the car, won't there, at the very least. You'll always have that emergency cutoff. Um, but I'm glad to see also that they are phasing out things that people never do, like reversing around a corner. 
you'll never reverse around a corner. Not in the way that they teach you to reverse around a corner anyway. It just doesn't happen. So, again, I suppose it's kind of cool that they're actually paying attention to what's happening. Like a lot of company, a lot of sort of, a lot of things in the world, especially government things, you sort of feel like they're very, very behind the times. And arguably, you could say this is behind the times because we've had sat-navs for, you know, 15, 20 years, haven't we? Um, so perhaps it was well overdue. But even so, it's it's still encouraging to see them making a, a move towards the high-tech world. It is. Now, I, I had a, a search around um, earlier, and I couldn't find anywhere else in the world, certainly not using Google, where GPS navigation formed a legal part of a driver's examination. So if you're in a country or area where this is already a thing, I would love you to let us know, podcast at natelangson.com, um, because at least my rudimentary Googling this morning um, suggested that we might be the first country to make this law. I find that hard to believe, Um but I couldn't find any evidence to the contrary, so please let us know if you know of one. Podcast at natelangson.com Ian, I'm curious, when you buy, you know, your sandwich uh, or your, you know, your new underwear, um, mm-hmm. you know, your, your chicken pieces, perhaps, to, to feed one of your cats, <laughs> I'm curious whether you pull out your phone and its contactless payment system on it, uh, or do you pull out your debit card and use contactless on that or do you just go all old school and use cash here's here's the thing Nate. i can answer this question with absolute precision if the amount is under 30 pounds i use my phone and if the amount is more than 30 pounds i use a card uh because obviously that's the co- the contactless uh barrier isn't it it only goes up to 30 pounds but i i prefer to use my mobile um i find it a bit more convenient uh, you don't have to enter a pin. I really struggle with pins, honestly. Um, and I have a few cards for various different things, you know, business account, personal account, joint account. Um, All right, money so, bugs. Well, let me get to the news. Well, it's not then. about having a lot of money, is it? It's about having a lot of bank accounts. There can be zero in all of them. <laughs> yeah, which would make the using of the cards rather <laughs> yeah. uh, pointless. Um, well, you're in a minority, Chief, and, and, and my answer to that same question would be the same as yours. Yeah, I was going to say, what would you say? Yeah, I, I would say what the last guy said, uh, you. Um, I use my phone. But according to a report in The Telegraph this week, the widespread popularity of contactless debit and credit cards is stunting the adoption of mobile payment services. That's at the Apple Pays and Android Pays of the world, mm. uh, at least in the UK. Now, this is according to the results of a study which was based on polling of 2,000 people. So not an enormous sample, but not tiny either. Uh, apparently, just 1%, 1% of British consumers would choose to use mobile payments in everyday scenarios, such as buying new pants um, or beef or whatever your <laughs> daily... Well, why, why do you think that is, though? Well, apparently one of the reasons might be uh, security concerns. People well, that's just... bloody stupid because I mean, using a phone to pay for something is more secure than using a card, arguably. I would agree, but at the same time, that is one of the reasons cited as a concern. Um, I think as well, the fact is that a lot of people might not actually know how to do it or know that they can. Yeah. Um, that's It's not made super obvious, to be honest, because when you sign up to using Apple Pay, it's not really made clear in, in the same 
British terms that we see uh. on our debit cards and in shops um, that con- that it's just regular contactless. You look for an um, a logo that says Apple Pay in shop windows, and I'm sure this is true in all countries where Apple Pay is accepted. The fact is, it's still just regular contactless, like we've had for the last ten years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we I suppose in some ways one has to point out that we were a little bit ahead of uh, the US. Well, well it's I mean, funny that because it, I was listening to Tom Merritt on Daily Tech News Show a couple of weeks ago was talking about um, you know how the US is is they, they've managed to move into pin territory um, but they're not sorry chip territory um, but still not using pin uh, which sort of negates the point of using chip so and they, pin they are point. inserting their cards in card readers and and paying for things but not having to enter a pin to do it I believe that's right yeah that and a lot of bonkers, places still swipe whenever I go to the states I'm still amazed at just how much swiping is is done it's not chip and pin but well th- it's a big this it's is a lot of, of infrastructure to replace isn't it that's the thing and uh, yeah, and I noticed that there has been an uptick in the amount of uh, you 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 do see it a lot uh, when I was at CES, I noticed that they've a lot of them have got now those very phone terminals that we have in this country. So uh, whereas before they had some, you know, completely different system, didn't they, with a massive signature pad and stuff like that. It's just crazy. But um, they also I- had the advantage, I suppose, that they didn't have contactless. And so therefore moving to Apple Pay was like a huge thing in the same way that contactless here was. But that's interesting because that was also one of um, one of the points raised on Tom's episode is that in the same way that many African countries sort of leapfrogged wired broadband and went straight to 4G, um, perhaps the US and other countries are doing similar. They sort of skip chip and pin and move straight into contactless and fingerprint and, and biometric authentication, yeah. uh, which lots of retailers over there are very advanced with. So it's uh, it's interesting that, that in Britain, where I see people paying with their phones constantly all day and on the, you know, on buses, I mean, our buses don't even accept cash anymore so it's either contactless or nothing um and and the majority of people that i see uh daily seem to be using their phones i mean i have occasionally see someone using their apple watch and it always seems to fail well let us know if you are in one of the one percent uh, or in the 99 percent uh, who aren't using these systems we'd love to know what's holding you back uh, and whether um, you uh, are just about to to venture into the world of contactless phone-based payments uh, and if so what's been holding you back let us know please podcast at natelangson.com If you're on Vodafone, then a little bit of good news rained in, uh, uh, on you um, this week in that uh, they're scrapping roaming charges for UK customers in 40 countries, many of which are in the EU, but many of which aren't, such as Norway and Turkey uh, nice. and Iceland. Yeah. Um, now, this is only going to be applied to new or upgraded contracts, i.e. you've signed a you know, a new agreement with Vodafone. But it's fair to expect that eventually this will roll out at least to, you know, premium price tiers, although that's my own um, expectation. That's not confirmed. Now, this is ahead of the EU abolishing all roaming charges for all 28 or currently 28 member states in June. We talked about that, I think, last week or the week before. Um, And so this is seen as something of 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 a a bit of a bonus for Vodafone's customers, but it's not unprecedented. Three, um, I think, has been probably the the leader in in uh, getting rid of roaming charges for free, uh, and it offers free roaming in forty two countries, and that includes the US, which currently Vodafone um, does not. But it's another way that we can see 
British mobile customers not being affected by Brexit in terms of the the roaming, the free roaming agreement potentially going away with our membership to the EU, um, because the networks are independently just setting up these agreements themselves. So it's a nice move. I'm on Vodafone, um, and so this is this is good news for me. And uh, Ian, you're not on Vodafone, are you? No, I'm not. No, I'm on three. You're on three. Oh, my so sins. You, so you get two additional countries, uh, which I believe is inclu- includes the US. Yeah, and much slower 4G. <laughs> well, that's... Uh, and no t- 4G when you roam, either. That's... A t- well, Vodafone does, because I looked at this. Yeah. On the countries that have 4G infrastructure, then... Like the US. Like the U. Well, the US isn't included well, in, no. in, in the Vodafone one, but but 4G is included um, for um, f- for these lists. I mean, there's some interesting countries in here. I mean, there's the obvious ones you'd expect, like France and Germany and Hungary. Iceland is in there too. They're all 4G. Isle of Man's 4G. Latvia's 4G. Uh, Lithuania, Luxembourg. You can probably tell I'm reading down the list here. Uh, all 4G. Romania, San Marino, Slovakia, Slovenia. Loads of places. There are some that aren't. Malta is not 4G. Gibraltar is not 4G. French Ow. West Indies is not 4G. Bosnia is inclusive, but is not 4G. So there are exceptions, and I've indeed read the entire list of the exclusions uh-huh. from, from 4G. But good news if you're on Vodafone, I believe. Well, a story that cropped up uh, a little bit of time ago, and, and we discussed this on a previous episode, is that Virgin Media is going to switch on home routers as a way of boosting their public Wi-Fi network. This is something I saw on Engadget, amongst other places this week, uh, but it's the Engadget report I'm referring to here. And they're starting to uh, to roll out what was actually promised, uh, or first re- teased at least, in 2015. So this is going to be compatible with anyone who's got a Super Hub 3 router, which includes me, although I've not had a letter about this yet. I believe includes Ian, and he has had a letter about it. I have it had a letter, yes. And customers are being alerted via email and post um, where they can choose to opt out, or if they choose to do nothing, they'll be connected automatically. Now, before we get to the contents of the letter, which I'm hoping Ian will be able to read a bit of, um, it's just to explain what this means. Essentially, if you're walking around a neighborhood and you're a Virgin Media customer and you're looking for some Wi-Fi, you will suddenly find a lot more Virgin Media Wi-Fi hotspots available to you. And these are being provided by a separate Wi-Fi signal being broadcast by people's routers in their homes. It's not going to affect the people, uh, as in their connection speed or their security. It's a separate allocation of bandwidth. It's a separate Wi-Fi signal. And Virgin Media, I believe, has promised that security is top concern, blah, blah, blah. Uh, unlike, say, BT, BT Fon, I don't think this is currently open to non-Virgin customers. I think this is a Virgin perk. Yeah. Um, whereas BT, you can pay to access public Wi-Fi, even if you're not a BT customer. That's as I understand it. And it is rolling out now. So if you haven't had a letter like I haven't, um, then you can expect one in due course. Ian, why don't you take us through what's in this letter? How is it it being pitched? Well, it's uh, uh, like a lot of, I mean, uh, Virgin's sort of lucky I even bothered opening it because most of the things they send me are incitements to get a new phone. um, And I'm just not interested. Um, So really, it just it just lays out the fact that it won't affect your. So I'll read the bit about the uh, your home Wi-Fi. Um, So it says here to add it to your network, we'll switch on a separate connection to the hub in your home. This means that the broadband you love and pay for will stay exclusively yours and remain just as secure. Uh, don't want your hub to use our, to join our Wi-Fi network. No problem to opt out. Simply let us know by registering or signing into your account uh, and clicking on your profile. Um, so 
it sounds pretty much like the whole thing is a completely separate connection. I have tried to find it on, you know, the Wi-Fi connection on mine. There's no, I don't think there's anyone else in my area that has, um, I haven't seen a Wi-Fi hub pop up in the, um, in the what's it called, in my list of Wi-Fi networks on my phone. So I don't think they've turned it on yet because as my understanding of it is when it's turned on you'll see a virgin media wi-fi hotspot appear when you search for wi-fi in your area um and of course the good thing about it is it includes the cloud which is which is quite useful right so can you explain that um well it says on the website which they give you in the letter which is uh virginmedia.com forward slash virgin media wi-fi just rolls throughout the time it says um that you know it, it includes the cloud as part of it so so if you opt um, in you get access to the cloud yeah, hotspots that's, as that's well that's what it's, uh, it's certainly what it implies but i'll be very clear about the virgin media web- website it is one of the most confusing places you'll ever go uh trying to work out one thing and another about this site is absolutely abysmal um but yeah, it's, it certainly seems to suggest that that's what you'll get. Um, and I guess it's easier for them to provide um, through a third party rather than doing it all themselves. And I noticed that they, in the letter they mentioned specifically things like um, uh, Cafe Nero and Pizza Express. And those are, again, r- listed on the website and they are um, Wi-Fi powered by the cloud, which is funny because it's a Sky company. So it's very odd. Uh, I'm trying to get the app on my phone, but it's not working. So um, well, well we'll have a look we'll have a look um i mean certainly i have seen um i've seen the cloud logo um presented as uh as a as a bonus for this i've looked at the website now as well so i think that is it but we'll 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 double check and we'll we'll follow up on this um but if you've received a letter if you're choosing to opt in uh would love you to let us know why and whether you have any concerns and if you're choosing to opt out uh similarly would be very keen to hear uh, about why your decision was uh, was such uh, podcast at natelangson.com uh, for all your virgin media wi-fi thoughts and feelings one last story here then ian uh, just a quick one because i thought this was great and i've been looking forward to this for a very long time planet earth 2 the ground uh, I say groundbreaking the first one was groundbreaking isn't it but certainly the very highly regarded uh, natural history documentary series from the BBC uh, is getting a 4k blu-ray release now we sort of expected this um, but now we actually know that it is there and apparently it is very good Um, and uh, according to the Engadget headline uh, it will make you want a new television now I've been an owner of a 4k television for about a year and rather this just makes me want to own something to take advantage of the damn set um and uh, we had a couple of re- pieces of response to this news when i tweeted it on at text message pod uh, your source for all midweek text message uh, content uh, adam adam brown uh, said it won't as in make him want to buy a new tv it'll make me want availability to stream it in lossless 4k not by a physical media player for several hundred quid fair point i think a yeah, lot of I people agree with that. would would agree with that for sure uh, and i think the lossless aspect is is key there because netflix does support 4k but you get close enough and you can see the compression artifacts what adam is talking about here is wanting one that is as good quality streamed which is very difficult to deliver uh, for most people at least um, it's not well it yeah, is uh, the bit rate on 4k must be 30 40 megabits for a well Blu-ray. to have actual li- literal lossless would be well, quite difficult not lossless he means 
pretty much the same as blu-ray you know thir- yeah. I, i'm not sure what the, what the compression rate is because i'm sure it varies from picture oh, it does. to picture it's, but they're, they're... Yeah, variable but it's it's bloody high and a hell of a lot higher than netflix uh we also had neil boothman who replied as well he said 4k really brings physical media back into play as streaming just cannot match anything like the quality but it's also damn expensive so slightly different uh, uh opinions on the same thing topic is, from though, adam and neil doesn't need to be expensive does it like that 4k thing is, is it, it's just a way of making some money while the format's new it's not gonna last um and you'll be able to get it in two years time for 30 quid or something yeah it's it, it it's a cynical again I'm, I'm i'm feeling cynical and yeah. I, I i'm seeing cynicism in the world yeah i mean it's the it's the it's which came first the apple or the seed uh, that's the vegetarians uh, chicken and egg by the way um yeah. yes well anyway let us know if you're gonna be buying planet earth 2 on on uh blu-ray i haven't actually i don't recall seeing a release date do you happen to know when this is going to be released um no no okay well but it might not have a release date yes uh no i think that's part of the problem well we'll 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 double check that and, and tweet out when we find out when it is Let's move into a couple of emails. Uh, Our conversation last week about um, the differences between fibre optic and coaxial and copper-delivered broadband uh, did provoke uh, a number of tweets uh, and a couple of very interesting emails, uh, which I'm going to get through, one from Britain and one from the United States. Uh, I'm going to start here with uh, with one from Tom, who got this in literally minutes before we started recording the show. He says, Hi, Nate, was just listening to your piece on the nuances of broadband marketing. I tend to agree that BT in particular overuse the term fibre broadband. Our rural village was upgraded to fibre to the cabinet a few years back. The investment was really appreciated and connection speeds increased from around 800 kilobits per second to around 14 megabits per second now. We're about a mile from the cabinet, so we get nowhere near the up to 52 megabits we subscribe to. I appreciate that their general customer base probably doesn't need to get involved in the fine detail of cabinet location, but I do feel that there is more pr- appropriate marketing term for what we get. Local fibre broadband, for example. Um, but don't get me started on the messy structure of the BBC website. Keep up the good work. That's from Tom, uh, which is interesting and, and certainly something that we've we've heard not only with fibre to the cabinet, but also just good old days of up to 24 megabits per second when ADSL uh, was all the rage. Um, and people who lived two or three miles from their exchange would get, you know, very poor speeds compared to those who lived next door to the exchange like Ian and I did. Yeah. Um, and then we had this interesting email come in from Evan in, in the US, and he says he's a field technician uh, for Comcast uh, Xfinity, the broadband company we were talking about last uh, last week in the in the States. Um, and he says that they build their internet delivery system as HFC, which is called Hybrid, hybrid Fiber Coax, uh, which instantly makes me think such a technical term uh, would never be uh, adopted in Britain. But I'm glad somewhere in the world uses uh, a sensible term. Uh, he says we are continuously upgrading the delivery network to fiber but at the neighborhood and house level everything is coax so it's very similar to virgin media here uh, evan goes on he says as opposed to our old analog signal or the copper pair of phone line our speeds are able to be guaranteed for example in nearly all of my areas customers pay up to 200 megabits per second for a plan which is guaranteed some limited areas can go up to two gig most of the time i see uh, an additional 10 percent buffer so customers can have 220 to 230 megabits per second now that's interesting as well because that's exactly what we have i think with virgin here too yeah do you, do you experience that yeah um and then exactly that exactly that they will always give you a little bit extra data to mean that you will always get 
exactly what you pay for. And it's a it's a really good customer service thing because it means that you're you you, you look at it and you go, well, you know, I'm get I'm getting more than I actually pay for. So it kind of feels like even if it is sometimes a little bit slower, you're, you're still overall winning. Uh, and you know, like, I've got no real concerns with Virgin when it comes to the speed when it's working. Yeah, it, it flies, um, and I and it doesn't have the problems that BT has with distance, and you'll never see that. Yeah, well, Evan had said as well that uh, pressure from Google Fiber and the marketing cachet of Fiber to the premises uh, meant that they did start building out some newer systems, but have recently started pulling back uh, because of the increased costs and limited advantages. Um, I, which I'm assuming is that for most customers who get ridiculously high speeds that Fiber to the home actually provides, they're not currently actually able to take advantage of it all, but are paying for the privilege of being able to. Well, yeah, I mean, he does go on, and I, I what I did like it, um, is quite is quite good because actually. Actually, it's very difficult to fix fiber, um, which is what he says. So you, what you do is you get you you end up with a price. You know, sending an engineer out becomes extremely expensive because it takes a long time to troubleshoot whatever, or you've got to do a you've got to replace a run of cable. Coax isn't quite as sensitive as that, and RG six, which he talks about, is the same stuff that Virgin uses here. So RG six, um, for those not familiar, is a type of cable. Yeah, a type of coax specifically, but it's very it's very rigid. It doesn't bend very easily, um, so it's not well suited to being used. You know, say with a laptop in your house, which is but it, but it does offer a, a lot of bandwidth. And for a fixed installation where you're coming up to a router, it's actually fine. Um, but yeah, you know, like and I think I think that that kind of cable actually is sort of perfect. And I and as I said last week, I don't care if it's delivered by fiber to my door or if it's delivered by coax i all i care about is that i'm getting the speed that you know good speed yeah well thanks evan very much for the for the detailed email from across the pond it's uh, it's good really interesting of emails to, there actually yeah it's really interesting i think to see the similarities between what we have in our um you know virgin media world um and how that compares to uh to comcast in the us and, and thanks to tom as well for the for the local take uh, you can have your take local or international um read by thought about and discussed by ian and myself uh, by sending your emails to podcast at natelangson.com we do love getting them um and so so please do do keep them coming in or tweeters at text message pod on twitter and i should say we do get a lot more people interacting with us on twitter now um and i think part of the reason is we do throughout the week have a very steady stream of all the stories we might talk about at the weekend all all almost all of which um are, are you know relative um, what am I trying to say here? They're, they're very <laughs> relevant to the to the listener of text message. If you like our predominantly UK uh, focused take on the tech world, uh, do follow us there at text message pod. Um, Unless but- I'm in charge of it and then I just go crazy, don't I? But anyway. Uh, a little bit, but it's an endearing level of crazy, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Endearing. Um, let's check in for... A global take on this week's tech news with Tom Merritt. Tom. Hey, thanks, Nate. This week on Daily Tech News Show, we discuss just how personal we want those personal assistants to get, how intelligent we want those super intelligences to get, help you stop your smart speakers from being set off by commercials, (coughs) Burger King, discuss why Amazon succeeds by not having all the information, and get Lloyd Case's lowdown on the new AMD Ryzen chips. All that and more, much more, at DailyTechNewsShow.com. Back to you guys. Thank you, Tom. Well, Ian, that's it. Uh, I feel pleased. Um, I hope you do too. I do. I absolutely do. Satisfied and pleased. Marvellous. That's exactly the way to spend an Easter. Um, 
For those of you who uh, maybe were thinking of uh, supporting us at patreon.com slash UK tech, um, but haven't yet, we'd love to give you a little reminder that uh, we'd very much welcome it. Uh, you get ex- access to our extended version of the show, my weekly columns and, and a variety of other things. Uh, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash UK tech. There are links if you go to our Twitter page, if you go to the blog at techpodcast.uk. Uh, you can find all the links to find it there. And maybe just give us a try for a few weeks and see what you think. There's no commitment, um, but obviously every penny uh, goes to supporting the show and helps keep us doing um, the best we possibly can every week for you. Um, And if not, the other great way to support the show is leave us reviews in iTunes uh, and in other podcast places or tell a friend or a spouse or a colleague or a son and daughter or a grandparent. Indeed, all are welcome. Uh, And that's the best way uh, of supporting the show um, without, uh, without any money. So thank you to everybody who is supporting us in whatever form you can afford. And I think on that note, Ian, we will say sayonara and we will see you in uh, just under a week, actually, since we're recording this week one day late, thanks to Easter. Um, Toodle Pipsky. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.